morning, Stafford County Christian Church. We have a couple of announcements for you. We want to make sure that uh, you remember we have masks here for you. Uh, one of our members graciously made us over 100 masks, and uh, we have them here at the church. So you can stop in anytime during the week to pick those up. Remember that those are here. We have all different uh, styles. Uh, she made many different kinds. So um, we have those here for you. We'll have them once we open back up that if you don't have a mask and you would like to have one in order to come to church, we'll have those for you to be able to pick up and, and to take home with you. So please remember that you, we have those. Also, we're continuing to do the Serve Food Drive. Uh, remember, you can drop off those items here at the church, uh, non-perishable items. We have a bin out in front, and then also um, we, you can drop drop off directly at Serve. So don't forget that. We're also collecting all kinds of cleaning supplies because we know at some point in the very near future, and we don't have a date on that, we're still seeing what the governor has to say. We're still making plans, and we will get that out to you um, as soon as we possibly can of what that plan looks like. But we want to make sure that uh, we can sanitize uh, uh, between services and, and we have an awesome cleaning crew that, that will sanitize before and after service. But we want to make sure that we have all of those cleaning supplies. So if, if you are out and about and you see hand sanitizer, um, you can pick that up. If you see uh, Clorox, if you see bleach wipes, uh, disinfectants, uh, if you see gloves, grab any of that that you can and you can drop that off here at the church as well. And one of those things, uh, I'm encouraging you, we're looking for the hand sanitizer stations that are touchless. So if you're on the interwebs and you're on Amazon and you're looking through, or if you maybe have a contact of where we can get some of those things at, um, just think about that. Uh, let us know. And if you have the hookup with that, you can go ahead um, and you can purchase it and we can reimburse you or you can tell us where to get it and we will buy it ourselves. But please make sure um, that you help us with any of those supplies uh, because we're looking everywhere and it's really hard to find all of these different supplies. So we're going to dig into our message here. Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 3. So I encourage you to open up to James chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about our words. We're going to be talking about our tongues. And, you know, when we think about um, our words, uh, you know, words have started revolutions. Words have started riots. They've, re they've started revivals. They've started reformations. You know, I think about my tongue and my words and how I use them on a daily basis. And this last week, um, we saw, uh, I was looking at the weather app and saw that it was about uh, to have a, we were going to have a freeze warning. And it was 1130 at night. And I went, oh no, I forgot to cover all of the plants down in our garden. So I got up and uh, went down and I didn't have my phone on me. It was dark. And uh, as I'm going down there, there was a board that I had down there and I tripped and kicked it and ow, did it ever hurt. And I thought about that as I was preparing the message this week and how our words trip us up. I mean, how many of you can say that your words have tripped you up at some point or another in your life? I mean, it happens to every single one of us. Last week, we learned the truth. We're not saved uh, by works, but we're saved people to do God's work. And today, we're going to move from proving our faith by our works to proving our faith by our words. Here's a summary statement for today. 
control your tongue or it will control you. And, and again, as I was thinking about um, the, the way that we titled uh, this sermon series, we're calling it Collision. And how appropriate it is for me to preach on this sermon because I know for me that uh, my words collide a lot with who I am as a Christian. And my sarcasm gets in the way too often because immediately someone says something to me and I just want to, I just fire right back. And this is one of those things that where my faith and my actions and my words, they just collide with one another. As, as we look through James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, James illustrates the power of the tongue and he uses six vivid word pictures for us. He talks about a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, an out-of-control fire, a dangerous animal, a bubbling spring, and then delicious fruit. That there's three more main points that I have for us here this morning. And the first one that we're going to look at is the tongue has the, the power to direct us. The tongue has the power to direct us. Let's look at verse 1. We read, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, because teachers were thought of as having a prestigious position, I think there were many people that rushed into that position. They wanted to have the, the, the fame. They wanted to have the people that would follow them. They wanted the disciples that would come alongside of them and be under them as they would teach. And, and many times these teachers would teach on things that they really didn't fully understand. And I think about this verse for me. Because with greater authority brings with it greater accountability. And I realize as, as I teach and as I use my words on a regular basis that I will be judged with greater strictness. The word greater is the Greek word for megas. It's where we get our word for huge or, or large. I want to tell you that this is humbling for me. It's absolutely Frightening when I read this verse that I will be judged more strict because of the words that I use, because what I am doing can bring about death or life. And again, here's the principle greater authority brings with it greater accountability. Teachers are not the only ones that are tripped up by their tongues and by their words. In, in verse 2, we read, for we, James says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And I love what James does here. He doesn't just look at the people and say, you. You are the ones that have the problems. He uses that all-inclusive word here. We. We all stumble and stumble has the idea of falling or again tripping literally this verse is translated we all are stumbling repeatedly in many ways 
We all are stumbling repeatedly in many ways. It's a constant thing for us and in many different ways. What may trip you up isn't what trips me up. What trips Kristen up isn't going to be what trips up Jennifer. What trips up Jennifer isn't going to be what trips up Rob or Tracy or Mark or Matthew or whoever else that is. We are all going to trip in our own ways. How many of you would really like it if every word that you said was put out on display for everyone to be able to hear, for everyone to be able to read, that it was recorded, that it was broadcast? You know, Jesus said that we're all judged by the words that we speak. We see this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I want you to remember this. Your conversations will reveal your character. Because what you say shows who you truly are. James continues by saying that if our tongues don't trip us up, that we're perfect. That we're complete. If we're able to muzzle our mouths, we're able to bridle our entire bodies. James is circling back to a theme that he actually put forward back in James chapter 1 verse 26. James says there, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You know, the heart of sins to control or the trespasses of the tongue. You're going to hear me and you've already heard me go back a lot to the Old Testament book of, of Proverbs. And, and it's so awesome that um, the way in which we read the Proverbs and we read James, they just coincide with one another so much. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 23 says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. A good, as a good teacher, James uses some unforgettable figures of speech. He wants to make sure that we understand what he's trying to drive home, that we need to be wise with our words. So the first illustration that James gives us is that of a bit in a horse's mouth. Look at verse three. James says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, if you've ever seen the bit that goes into um, a horse's mouth, it's just a piece of metal. But it goes all the way to the back of their mouth, and it's kind of small compared to the full size of a horse. And horses are extremely powerful creatures, full of muscle. Most horses weigh around 1,000 pounds, some a little bit smaller, some a lot larger, but all it takes is a small piece of metal. And the way in which a, a, a bit works is um, what you do is you put it in its mouth and whichever way you pull on the horse, the horse doesn't like that pressure being put on its mouth. So that horse will turn away from the way that you're pulling it. So you turn, you pull the bit this way. The, the horse doesn't like that feeling. So immediately it just turns with it. You have full and complete control for the most part of a horse in the directions because of a small piece 
of metal. But here's the thing. It's not just a small piece of metal. It's also a small piece of wood or metal on a giant ship called a rudder as well. Look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the, the will of the pilot directs. So in James' day, um, they didn't have the powerful motors that we have on our um, boats today and our large ships today. But the same thing could be true if you've ever seen uh, large barges, if you've ever seen the tugboats um, that are out on the Ohio River or on the Mississippi River. They are full of horsepower. Yet compared to the size of the boats, compared to the size of the barges, that they're pushing, it's a very small piece of metal that is guiding this giant ship. Relatively small, with a lot of horsepower, but it can direct that ship whichever way to go. Friends, our, our, our tongues, they're the same exact way. Though tiny, they have tremendous power to direct us. Check out verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Did you know that the human tongue, on average, weighs about two ounces? Two ounces. So my tongue, and I'm not going to stick it out for you, but my tongue, I would say, would probably weigh about two ounces. I'm 225 pounds, yet... That two-ounce piece can control every part of my being. And I need to be so careful. Chuck Swindoll called the tongue a two-ounce slab of trouble. Someone else said it this way. It's the two-ounce beast. Friends, control your tongue or it will control you. Not only does our tongue direct us, but also it has the power to destroy. It has the power to destroy. After establishing the power of the tongue to direct, in the last part of verse 5, we're introduced to the image of an out-of-control fire that destroys. How great is a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, fire, few disasters in the ancient world were as feared out of, as an out-of-control fire. Fire started easily in the dry season were almost impossible to extinguish, leaving destruction in their wake. Such a small spark can create such large forest fires. We have to be so vitally careful and James talks about our tongue in the same way that we will be set ablaze as well like a careless match thrown into dry grass our words can incinerate individuals listen to this paraphrase of Proverbs chapter 16 verse 27 mean people spread mean gossip their words smart and burn you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever been the one that has gossiped about someone or, or said something? And the moment that it left your mouth, you knew 
There was no getting it back. You knew that it would smart. You knew that it would burn. You knew that it would tear down. Our tongues can set us ablaze. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now, when we read this verse, there are three truths that I really want to drive home for us. The first one is the fires we start with our mouths can quickly become infernos. Just like a small spark can ignite entire forests, so too our words can cause relationships to completely go up in flames. What was once a best friend, what was once a, a girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse, everything can go up in flames because of our words. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 26, verses 20 through 21. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. <laughs> As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is quarrelsome man for kindling to strive. One little spark. One little ember is all it takes to completely destroy everything that we've worked so hard to build up. Secondly, our words can defile and set the direction of our lives, our entire lives. The word stain means to soil or to defile. The words we use can chart the course of our entire lives. Words that, that we use Words used to us and against us. We have to be so, so vitally careful because our entire life can be altered because of what our tongue can produce. And the third point here is evil words are from the very pit of hell. Now, this doesn't mean that, well, Satan made me do it or it comes from hell. But when we read this, it's the pit of hell of where our words truly come. Somehow our tongues have a direct connection to hell itself. The word for hell in the Greek is Gehenna. And Gehenna is what was called just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, they had a large burning fire and they would just take their trash they would take their garbage and they would just set it on fire in this valley and they called it the valley of Gehenna and it would just constantly burn over and over and over again the fire would never go out the smell and the stench was always there if you've ever burned trash it can just vitally and utterly stink and this became a metaphor for the reality of the ever-burning fires of eternal torment. And it was referred to by Jesus 11 different times. James uses it once here. But Jesus, he talked about as he traveled around Jerusalem, he would talk about Gehenna. And the people understood what that meant. The ever-burning fire. Here's the main point. Our uncontrolled speech 
can be set on fire from Satan and hell itself. How many people have you crippled? How many people have you killed with your words? Do your words build up? Or do your words tear down? The next illustration that James gives us is that of animals. As important as it is not to speak death words and instead speak words of life, we have a problem. Look at verse 7. It's the fourth illustration. For every kind of beast and wild bird of, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Now, now when we dig into this, um, you, you may have been to the circus and you've seen ferocious lions, tigers, and they jump through burning hoops set ablaze. We, we've seen large grizzly bears that ride tricycles, that can ride on the back of, of horses. We can take birds and teach them how to fly from one place to another. Huge elephants do handstands. We can take all kinds of animals and, and we can get them to do what we want. They can be tamed. Ferocious beasts. Yet James says here, not the tongue. The tongue is a wild beast. Look at verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is a very strong statement and it means no one of man, not one. We cannot control our tongue. We need outside help. We, we can't do it alone. We can't go at this alone. We need outside help. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the people of God. We need to be surrounded by people who are speaking words of life, who will correct us when we're doing wrong. James calls it a restless evil. And this refers to staggering, unstable, unsteady, and unsettled. The tongue is a restless and incapable of human restraint. Have you ever had restless leg syndrome? I dealt with that for a little while. Well, James here basically says that we have restless tongue syndrome, that it just doesn't stop. It flaps uncontrollably. And again, I don't know about you, but this is one of the things that I really, really struggle with. If you've been around me, like right now, people have said, hey, Travis, is it hard for you? Um, you don't have an audience. You don't have anyone to speak to. But I love to talk. So this is easy for me. The problem is I love to talk. So my mouth is constantly going, which means that I don't always hear what I'm supposed to. It, it means that I will say things that I probably necessarily shouldn't say. It gets me in trouble again and again and again. We have to be careful to handle our words cautiously just like we would a vial of anthrax. When Paul builds his case that all have sinned, he speaks of the sins of the tongue in Romans chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. The tongue has the power to direct 
It has the power to destroy. We need to be careful. But I absolutely love how James brings all of this to a conclusion. Because the tongue also has the power to delight. Our tongues have the power to delight. And in verses 9 through 10, James lays out the dichotomy. The hypocritical nature of our tongues. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. The word bless here is where we get our word for eulogy which means to speak well of. So we speak well of the Lord. We bless the Lord, but then a second later, after we've just blessed the Lord, after we've worshipped Him, we have praised Him, we have given Him all of our glory, and we say, oh, hallelujah, Lord, it is awesome that we serve You, and we turn right around and start gossiping, not a second later. And that's the dichotomy that James is talking about here. We can praise Him and then turn right around and pulverize our brothers and sisters in Christ. James now draws his fifth word picture to help us to see that it should be impossible to both exalt and incinerate with the same mouth. So he talks about a spring. Listen to this penetrating question in verse 11. Does a spring forth, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever just been to an absolute beautiful, fresh spring water, you just see it coming right out of the mountain. It's coming up out of the ground and you can just drink it directly. It's cold. It's fresh. There's just nothing better. But how many of you have ever been swimming in the ocean? We were actually, uh, several years ago, Teresa and I went to Israel and uh, we, were, we, we went to the Dead Sea while we were there. And they said, hey, whatever you do, try not to, if you get your hands wet, don't touch your face, don't touch your mouth, don't get it in your eyes because the moment that it gets in your eyes, you can't wipe it because it's too strong, it's too potent. I got it in my mouth because I was laying down and I was trying to stand up and I couldn't. And so I'm thrashing around like a beached whale trying to figure a way to stand back up. And it got into my mouth. And it was one of the most sour, bitter, nastiest tasting things ever. And that's exactly what James is talking about here. We bless the Lord. But then we turn right around and we tear one another down. It is inconceivable for the tongue James says, to send forth both righteousness and rumors, praise and pummeling, compliments and cursing. And then he gives us our last phrase here. He talks about fruit. The final image is in, found in verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? If you go to a tree, you expect to find that type of fruit on it. If you go into the grocery store today and you buy grapes, you expect them to taste like grapes, right? 
But how many of you have ever went to the store and you weren't paying attention and you're like, oh, green grapes, those look amazing. And you get home and you realize after you pop the first one in your mouth, it tastes like cotton candy. Now, why in the world they would ever try to make a grape taste like cotton candy is beyond me. I also grabbed an apple once that tasted like a grape. I don't understand why people would do this, but they want to change the way that fruit is supposed to be. And here James is saying, listen, no, if you go to a fig tree, you expect to get a fig. If you go to a grapevine, you expect to find luscious, beautiful grapes, not olives. We can't have both things. God is calling us here, important word for us. God is calling us to be consistent. Be consistent. Because what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what is in our hearts. We see this in the last part of verse 12. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So how do we put this into practice? How do we take everything that we've learned so far this morning that James is trying to, to give to us? How do we put it into practice in our lives today? And I think that this is a very important lesson for us, especially as we're going through um, all of this pandemic and everything that is happening. Because for many of us, we're trapped at home. For many of us, we can't get out. For many of us, we're stuck at home with our spouses, with our kids, and you're saying, Travis, you can't say that you're stuck at home with your spouse, but we are. We don't get to get out of the house. We don't get to send our kids off to school. We don't get to go to work. We're working from home. They're learning at home. We're all together. We're in the same location, and it's really, really hard, especially when it comes to our words. So there's no greater time for us to know that we need to put this into practice than right now. The first thing that we can do, think first. Think first. Use that as an acronym, the word think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? You know, I think about all of these different things. The one that really hits me is, is it inspiring? When I have my kids at home and have my wife at home and we're working together, it's easy to nitpick. It's easy to find the things that maybe they're not doing well or they're not doing right or the way that I would have done them differently. Your kids, you've told them to go and clean but then they don't do it the way that you expect them to clean. So you're like, no, 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 do it this way. Instead of building them up, instead of saying, hey, you did a good job. Maybe do this a little bit differently. The words that we're saying. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Related to this, I want you to think about the words that you're posting on Facebook. What are you tweeting about? What's on your Snapchat story? What pictures are you posting on Instagram? What comments are you making about people that are posting certain things? 
really, really think. We think, well, I just texted. It's not a big deal. I just sent it out there. It's not a big deal. I didn't actually say it. It wasn't really true. Be careful. Think all the way through it. Secondly, talk less. I know some of you are like, yeah, Travis, you could talk less right about now. <laughs> talk less. You know, our chances of blowing it are directly proportional to how much we open our mouths, how many words we say in a day. King David, after seeing how his words got him in trouble, he wrote this in Psalm 39, verse 1. I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So talk less. Memorize more. One of the best ways to change the words you speak is by getting into the word of Scripture. Make sure now is a great time. Open up that Bible, dust it off, take it off of the shelf, get off of your phone, get off of Netflix and Hulu and all of those other things that you've been binge watching and binge on God's word. Again, in, in Psalm 119, verse 11, we read, I have stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Number four, build others up. The Bible continuously reminds us to encourage one another with our words. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As long as it is today, build one another's up. Again, I think it's something that we need now more than ever. Proverbs 18.29 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's use words of life to speak on behalf of life. And then our final point here today. Have heart surgery. Have heart surgery. This passage is really, really challenging. It's one that speaks so clearly to me. I, I have told you before I ever preach any sermon to you, I always preach it to myself. And again, this is one of those that just gets to the very being of who I am. You know, we're presented with a standard to follow, but then James makes it extremely clear. We'll never be able to achieve it. We can't do this on our own. Why is it so hard to say kind words? What it makes it so difficult? Again, we're told that our tongue, we cannot tame it. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34, 34 and then Matthew 15, 19. This is what Jesus has to say. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lies, and slander. Someone remarked this, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. The, the tongue simply dictates what's down in the well. What's in your heart? Words of life? Words of blessing? 
Or are they words of, of death that kill, steal, and destroy? We need to make sure that we are constantly uplifting. Proverbs 4.23 exhorts, Watch over your heart with diligence. From out it flow the springs of life. So if you've been tripped up, if you've been tripped up by your tongue, if you find yourself just sprawled out on the ground right now, you've really allowed the Spirit to speak to you here this morning. I hope that you will allow James, you will allow the Holy Spirit into your life. That you will allow Jesus to help repair who you are. Just as a horse needs a rider guarding its reins, guiding its reins, and a ship needs a captain to move its rudder, your tongue, it needs a master. Jesus can be your master if you'll just allow him. Jesus is the only one that can help control your tongue. The Holy Spirit living inside of you can guide you and help you if we will just allow him to. Words matter. And the words of Jesus really matter for us. He knows we're a people who forget. So he instituted on the night before he would be betrayed and, and sentenced to death and to hang on a cross, he instituted the Last Supper for us. He designed a memorial meal for us to be able to remember what he did on the cross for us. In, in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20, this is what we read. And he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Did you catch that substitutionary sacrifice? Jesus says this is my body that is given for you. This is my blood that is given for you. The Savior died in your place. He died as your substitute. He died instead of you. He brought grace where there was none. We have this meal, we have the bread and the juice or whatever emblems you're using at home. We have those emblems for you. That's what he did. This meal called the Last Supper is filled with word pictures. The bread and the cup, they remind us of the Lamb of God. He sacrificed for sinners, satisfying God's judgment. He shed, his blood was shed so our sins, including the sins of our speech, can be forgiven. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for everything that you have done for us. That you have given your life 
on the cross for our sins. Father, as we prepare to take the bread and the juice, as we prepare to remember that sacrifice that you gave for us, Lord, we were sinners before. There was no help. We were dead. Yet you died for us. And we thank you and we remember that sacrifice as we prepare to take communion here today. We pray all of this in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.